Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome back to Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you a regular dose of positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi. 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 Last month in June, we held an intimate live recording of Queer Talk Live for Pride Month at our usual haunt above the Stag Theatre in Vauxhall, London. Spencer and I sat down with three guests to discuss body, hair and what it means to inspire others in our community. Enjoy. As you all know, it's Pride season. We got that out of the way. Um, and we want to have these conversations all year round, but we want to see something special. We want to see something different. We want to invite some gorgeous people onto the stage. As it's Pride Month... We often have panel talks where you talk about, like, what does pride mean to you? Exactly. We've all heard that question before. So this is what Spencer means when we're trying to do something different. We're talking about queer bodies. We're talking about whether you feel confident in your own skin, your body, your hair, and how that has affected you as a queer person. So we have rioted the troops and brought these three amazing people here. And I'm just going to let you introduce yourselves because you're capable of doing that. Um, oh, intro, yes. So I'm Sharon Dallywell. I'm the editor of Burn Ruddy magazine and the author of Burning My Ruddy. Also the creator of Oh Queer Cupid, a queer speed dating and comedy night. And also just a random like journalist and videographer and anything that gives me money, really. So. Um, hello, I'm Steph. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I'm currently the content officer for Terence Higgins Trust. Nobody knows what that means. I didn't when I joined either. I basically do social media stuff, copywriting, all of that jazz. Outside of that, I'm a writer, and I really love dinosaurs. That's really important to you. I told you you I'd get it in. Um, I'm Talia A. Darling. I'm a DJ and plus-size model, content creator, producer, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, all-round creative. That's what I do. I'm going to ask a question to all three of you to start off the night. I want to know, can you describe your relationship with your body in, you know, a few words... And if you feel comfortable, why those words resonate with you? I think I've got the mic, so I should should go first. Complicated. Complicated. This time last year, I would say I was my most confident. Um, I loved my body. Um, It took a long time for that through affirmations, through looking at myself in the mirror saying, damn, you fine, um, a lot of the time. And I always used to, I would say, preach or say um, that you should love yourself um, no matter what size. And that is a lot of what my Instagram was about, loving yourself no matter what size. And when I was saying that, though, I was thinking of my size increasing. And then June last year, I had weight loss surgery. Oh, I haven't said that out in public. Um, June, yeah, June last year, I had weight loss surgery because um, I couldn't... There's complications um, with having kids, and that, that was my only motivation um, to having this. So as I decreased in size, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I've always said, love yourself, love yourself, but not thinking about what it meant going down in size. 
So that's why I say complicated, because my mind says um, that I'm a, a bad bitch. The scales say something different, um, and society tell, telling me something else, and so the doctors are saying something else as well. So that's why I say complicated. The word that came to mind uh, with this question for me was tumultuous. Um, could Sorry. you describe what that word is yeah. to me? Or yeah. define it, please. Um, um. It kind of means like a roller coaster, like ups and downs, simply because like it's been a long journey of like dysphoria and dealing with all of that stuff. And so it started out being like a very negative experience, I'd say, growing up dealing with that. And so for a long time, like I didn't like my body very much. But then it's also kind of allowed me to be freer now because I was able to transition medically and get top surgery and stuff and I also would have wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have a body like I know that might sound silly but that makes sense in my head anyway so I say it's tumultuous because there have been very much downs but then since I've been able to kind of live more freely and transition in the way that felt right to me and express myself it's then got really really good and there have been loads of ups um, and I really love like parts of my body that I used to really, really hate. So yeah, I say tumultuous. You've all used all the good words. <laughs> <laughs> I would say probably uh, dissociated. I wanted to use another long word. <laughs> Mostly because, so I grew up with like uh, disordered eating from like a teenage, from when I was a teenager, um, which has been kind of like up and down throughout my life, coinciding a lot with like my mental health. Um, and I also, because I'm very open very recently about my body hair as well, um, and what ended up happening is um, I either got really hated for it or really sexualized for it, and it kind of, like, removed my body away from me. It became someone else's, you know, to either sexualize or hate. Um, so I kind of don't really have much of an association at this very moment with my body because of that, I feel. Okay. So, Steph, I would like to kick off with you. Yes. Hello. If, you, if you're okay with that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you said you had a relationship with your body. Yeah. Um, so, some of the things I've seen you do online, like you know, your YouTube videos, um, when you worked at Peak News, sharing some of your stories as well there. Um, you've always been very open and honest about your transition, and I guess I wanted to ask you, uh, why is it important to you personally to share that journey? Because you could obviously have done that all privately. I think it's important to me because I don't think I would have come to terms with things as soon as I had. And I say soon, it still took me like five years. But for me, it felt like it happened a lot sooner because I was seeing people online share their stories. I was watching people on YouTube when I was like 16, 17. Didn't even know I was trans at the time, which really should have been an indication. I'm like watching trans men going this is so cool, I relate to him, but I'm not, I, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest. I was very in the closet. But watching those people not only helped me understand myself, but like gave me the language, educated me around issues to do with myself that I didn't have any education on because we weren't taught it in school. My family didn't know anything about it because as far as I know, there aren't any other trans people in my family. If they are there, come out, tell me. I want to know. But yeah, it just feels important to me because the way that I have representation and felt seen growing up, even when I didn't know I needed it, but then I realized now that I did need it. It's just kind of nice to think that maybe even if there's one person who sees me post the 5,000th tweet of me with my shirt off talking about my Gucci nipples, 
you know, if one person, you know, I, I do it because I like to do it and it makes me feel nice. But if I get even one comment from a younger person, which that younger person used to be me messaging older trans guys that I looked up to. Yeah, if one person sees a trans person living loudly and existing and not being apologetic for it, then that's like a really nice bonus to me just continuously posting about being able to be shirtless all the time now, which I love anyway. Yeah, I think it's super important. A lot of us use social media in similar ways to, to share stories and to try and reach people. And I think it can be a battle because sometimes you feel like you're doing it for ego. Sometimes you feel like you're doing it for attention. Sometimes you feel like there's no point doing it at all. But I think you're right. Like it does come down to if you can reach one single person and they're like, wow, I didn't know that this version of a body could exist or this version of myself could exist. I'm going to try something new. Or I'm going to talk about this. Or I've now learned some language around something that I, want, I couldn't articulate before. Like it actually has a huge impact. Absolutely. But can we not pretend that the internet is a happy, safe place for a second? <laughs> because there is a lot of hate out there. Have you ever received backlash for sharing your story? Uh, yes. Uh, funny you should bring that up because recently I had a bit of an unfortunate incident, I suppose, where a photo, not just me, this happened to numerous trans people, um, a bunch of our photos were just pulled from our social medias and put in a trailer for a very, very anti-trans documentary. Um, yeah, boo. Um, <laughs> that um, it um, aired... On the 1st of June as well, they did that intentionally, knowing what they were doing. The good thing is, it was available on this like website that only like like very bigoted people already subscribed to, so I don't think it really reached too many people. But that was an example of kind of backlash because being in the trailer was one thing, but it also, you know, this trailer was seen by about 3 million people. Um, and while it's not explicitly like listed, like our social medias and our names weren't in it, but a lot of us posted about it, kind of saying, take this down, this is disgusting, this shouldn't happen. Because also there were minors in it too. Um, and obviously though, when you post about something, sometimes people can find it. And of course the tweet I did about it went a bit viral, a bit mad. And the TERFs and the transphobes found my mentions and found my messages. Thankfully, that stuff kind of doesn't bother me as much as it used to because I'm good at like putting up that wall between people and online that I don't know but it still does suck to get comments and nasty messages and stuff so yeah backlash is definitely a thing and it's interesting because people always say like how do you deal with that like do you argue back and stuff and I personally don't there's nothing wrong with doing that if you want to and if you can like hold around I'm very bad at confrontation anyway but the thing that I like to do is I, I block them and report them, which I know also Twitter is not great for reporting people because, again, they just ignore every single report I put through. But I do it anyway. But what I like to do is my own like mini form of rebellion against these kinds of people is block report, don't engage with them. But then I just continue posting the exact same stuff I posted the entire time. And to me, that feels like I'm winning because you took time out of your day to send a hateful message that has had no impact on me whatsoever. I read it, I giggled, I deleted it, and then I continued posting the exact same content that's gonna reach like LGBT plus people, who are the people I want to reach anyway. I don't care about reaching people that are gonna say nasty things back. Um, so that for me is my little like victory amongst it in like, you can't unfortunately stop them saying what they're gonna say, but I can continue to live unapologetically and hopefully really piss people off, so. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we've mentioned it a few hundred times this show already, but it's pride season. The reason that is so important is because my next question asks, 
our bodies seem to be more acceptable and more palatable during June and July and slipping into August if you're from Manchester like me. And, um, and the rest of the year doesn't seem to be the case. And it's a little bit of a like, mind fuck because all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, you're gorgeous. We need you in our campaign. And then the rest of the year it's like, no paid work for you. You're, you, you can't afford your rent. Ha 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 ha. So I want to know, do you notice that particular change as Pride season comes up? And what do you think could be done differently? This is a question for everybody. I would say, I don't know. I feel like you say queer bodies and you can't see that I'm queer. So therefore, no. No, because I would. I feel like my, my big black body still doesn't get the, the, the love and recognition it should do throughout the year, maybe Black History Month. And, and that's something that always um, plays with me. I'm like, you can see I'm, I'm black straight away. You can, and so therefore, I don't really matter during Pride, but I will matter in October. Yeah. Hmm. Strange. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's a very interesting point. Well, yeah, so that does that used to happen to me a lot. So I used to get a lot of people contact me during Pride Month being like, oh, Sharon, we want you in this campaign. But the thing is, I've started so many fights with so many different brands and so many different people. I've stopped getting contacted now. <laughs> I'm on a bunch of blacklists. Like, I'm blacklisted from so many places. Uh, so I'm not contacted anymore, which I love. So Pride Month is my relaxation month. <laughs> where, like, I can just go be, like, really gay just on my own without, like having to like be in a campaign about it and they've started like brands and stuff they use me outside of it I've noticed because of that so like a lot of the time pride month used to be really busy for me and then the rest of the time it used to be kind of like meh but I noticed that because they don't use me for pride month because I yell at them about their history they then start using me like other parts of the year instead Wow, you've really got them on their back foot. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you to prove yourself. I'm a bit like, yeah. In September. I'm like everyone's auntie, basically. So, like, they're, like, emailing me, and they can already see the finger wagging and, like, the, <laughs> that look on my face, and they're just like, oh, shit, maybe we shouldn't email her. Um, so, yeah, it kind of got to that stage, but it was really kind of, like, difficult at, at the beginnings when it was like, oh, you only care about me during Pride Month. Like, that's not... That's not okay. Like, I kind of exist. That's like, oh, like South Asian Heritage Month as well, which was like then became a thing when it wasn't a thing. And then suddenly, it, I don't know, it goes in and out of becoming a thing. It was really weird. Pride Month is a month. If we didn't have it, then would we get any attention, you know? No, That's like a, from a, brands, no. Yeah. From like corporate pride, no, we wouldn't get any attention. But the, I think the conversation is like, do we want attention from corporate pride? Or do we want attention from like grassroots organisations? Do we want it in like, you know, the government? Do we want legislation to change? You know, where does the actual impact happen? Is it with like, you know, Lidl doing an ad? Or is it with like, you know, the Tory government like doing something, which is never, but you know. Um, it's like, yeah, fuck the Tories. <laughs> That will always get a cheer. I know. I do it like nearly every time. I love it. That's <laughs> I'm we should just going to do it every show. now and then just for like a round of applause. I guess flipping the question <laughs> is like, what could these companies do better? Um, like give us all their money and just go away. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a lot of the time, like these companies are basically um, using us to like, you know, infiltrate certain communities, certain ideas, certain like beliefs. Um, yeah, so they create these groups, these are diversity and inclusion groups, they create these like, you know, queer groups and they say we're doing our part by doing that. But what they do is basically single you out 
into these groups. They put you there and then they say, this is what you can do during this time and that will benefit you. And the rest of the time we're going to ignore you. Um, and so it still isn't like, you know, it isn't moving forward. It doesn't help anyone really. And basically you just need queer people of color leading everything. And then, and then you're fine, basically. So Steph, is that similar experience? I mean, um, thankfully with my current job, I wouldn't say anything negative anyway, and if, even if it was true, just because obviously, but no, it's actually been really lovely. They're, they're, um, they are genuinely very supportive and it's nice actually because it isn't because it, it's a charity but it's not entirely queer focused we just serve anyone living with hiv or just anyone basically uh in terms of sexual health stuff but they are very inclusive and very supportive which is lovely but i have also i've had experiences in previous workplaces where <laughs> you <laughs> you are the token either trans person or person of color i've witnessed that happen to other people as well um and it's, it's very frustrating and it, it, it obviously shouldn't happen, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's a tough question of like, how do we, because the problem is we can try and do as much as we can, but then the change needs to also come from above, from those people who can actually implement proper change and not ignore us when we like complain and make valid criticisms about things. But I think, yeah, a main thing that companies I think need to not so much stop doing but continue doing is not just do the like you said slap a logo on something and do it just for pride like just show that support year round it, and it's, it doesn't mean that you know we expect them to be out there having pride parades every weekend but be something as simple as changing the language in like leaflets or on your websites making things more inclusive having your advertisements not just be white men all the time you know things like that is just general inclusivity but all of the time. And that really isn't that big of an ask, and I don't know why people act like it is. So thank you all for talking about the negatives of corporations. Um, <laughs> swerving into the positive, and what we can do as queer individuals is celebrate each other in, within the community. And I want to give a shout out to Sharon. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, you're now a published author. I'm that is fantastic. Time. I have the book on me. I haven't, I've like read half of it. What? But, <laughs> that's me. That's on me, not you. Your book is amazing. Uh, and it's half of, it <laughs> half of it is amazing. But in, in it, you also talk about body hair and um, you've got a whole chapter dedicated to hair chronicles. Spencer, have you read the book? I can't read. <laughs> I, will, I will have you know, there's like four words on this card right here. I buy every possible book that I can written by queer people. I put them on my bookshelf where they look gorgeous and then they gather dust. And then I pay people to come over and dust them. But that's okay. Well, and it's called Burning My Roti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really you... beautiful. The cover is great. I own the book. And, and the, audio, the, book? the yeah. audio book is out soon. Do you narrate that? Oh, I narrate it. So it's this annoying fucking voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was hungover and on no sleep uh, as well. So that'll be fun. My question is, oh, yes. your, one of your focuses has been on body hair, particularly um, on feminine bodies. Mm -hmm. And I want to know... What are your gripes when it comes to the policing of body hair? Oh, so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I talk about it in the book, I talk about it very specifically to my culture. So I talk about, like, you know, uh, the expectation of South Asian women. Very much like, you know, uh, heteronormative. It's, you know, you have to look a certain way to get married. And once you're married, then, you know, we've done our job. You know, we did our good job of you know, feeding you until we basically sold you to a man. 
Um, <laughs> but like when when you are like you know uh, a young girl that doesn't look a certain way, then they try and like basically mold you into the perfect looking woman to do it. So it wasn't just body hair. I had <clears throat> I had a nose job. I've had laser eye surgery, and like um, I don't know. No, I haven't had anything else. I was like, I don't know, many other things. No, I haven't had anything else. But like, there were things that uh, I was told I had to conform to to be able to be an accepted young Indian woman to then be able to get married to a man and be desirable to a man. And they would do things like they, that, like the evil ones. No, like uh, people like within my extended family mostly would do things like, you know, oh, you need to get rid of your hair. Like they would say things like clean your arm hair, like clean. Uh, the connotations were behind, like, you know, not just, like, you know, having hair. It was also how your hair made your skin look darker. So there was elements of colorism as well within it. And also within, like, caste as well. Because, like, if you were a higher caste, then you would be lighter skinned. And you would have more money and wealth to be able to, like, go and get, like, go to the beauticians, etc. So there was all these connotations that came with it. From a young age, I was just, like, absolutely, like, this is horrible like this uh, completely affected my mental health in the book I wrote as well like I was basically you know those Groucho Marx glasses which is the glasses the nose and the mustache that was me that was a hundred percent I had the thickest glasses I had a hook nose and I had this like blooming mustache which was actually like uh, beautiful actually when I think back but like I was looked at in a kind of like undesirable way there was just like oh Sharon you need to change that you need to change that you look horrible go like go get yourself waxed and my skin would just be completely destroyed ripped apart like turned red cut up just so I could look good enough for a man and it started from like the age of 13 onwards and I was just like I literally don't want men to look at me this is really weird that you're doing this to me like this is so surreal and then eventually got to a stage where it affected my mental health so much that like my disordered eating got so bad and I was like ripping all this hair out of my body that my skin was completely damaged as well and I had what was like covered in like bruises and marks and stuff where I was just I couldn't do it anymore I was just like I can't do this but I still had to conform to this idea because it was just ingrained in me and it was it was heteronormative because when I came out I was just like like everyone else is hairy it's fine <laughs> they don't care it, it was genuinely it, it was this kind of revelation where I was just like I was doing this for a cis het man and those are the people that I don't give a fuck about so like, why was I doing that? And then I came out and I was like, oh, I can actually be comfortable. I don't have to remove parts of parts of myself that exist, you know? And it was almost like at one point when, when I was removed, like I was still removing armpit hair after I came out for a while. And it was, it felt a bit like, like, am I removing a part of my limbs? Like, am I removing a part of me? It felt really kind of like, I was having this back and forth in my mind and I just suddenly went, nah, fuck it. Just don't remove anything. Also, I lost my razor. So I do this whole speech about like, <laughs> it was because I lost my razor. And I just, I just stopped and it just changed everything. It changed everything. And yeah, I get looks and even my mom says shit like, you know, and still like, there's still all that kind of stuff. But I, I feel a lot better. I feel a lot more relaxed. My skin doesn't hurt anymore. You know, I don't have like shaving rash, which was like a constant. As soon as I shave, like minutes later, I'd get shaving rash. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So like now I just live comfortably. Have you changed the attitudes of anyone in your extended family, close family, who are kind of like, why did we do that? And like kind of open their eyes a bit or is that something that 
they're going to still struggle with. I was so hopeful that someone would turn around and say, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. But it didn't really happen. What ended up happening is like, oh, Sharon just does that was kind of the thing. Sharon just doesn't shave. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't talk about it. And then I remember like not that long ago, my mum has these things called kitty parties. Kitty parties are like a really like Indian thing. And like my mum had like her friends round and they were having like a mum's kitty party at her house. And they were all kind of just like, mm, yes. They were all kind of like very like colonized basically, <laughs> aunties. And they're just like, yes, oh, um, so did you bring the samosa? And mum's like, yes, I brought the samosa. And I'm just standing there, like, armpits everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, oh, Sharon, like, you know, you're, you're very pretty, Sharon, but I think you need to, like, you know, maybe, maybe shave. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and this is just, like, a month ago or something. And it wasn't, like, I'm 38. Like, you can't talk to me like that. Like, I'm not at that kind of level where you thought you could mold me no 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 no. and so they were just like I think you need to and I was like no 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 no. I think you need to change your attitude like I got so pissed off mum had to kick me out of the house <laughs> I started a fight with the aunties at the kitty party which you're not allowed to do but it's hard to change these attitudes it's difficult and it's generational but again that's all changing because of like you know it, it was a almost like a colonial hang-up as well because it was a very uh European standard that was brought in as you became more open about your queerness or you got more used to your queerness that's giving you some confidence to be just kind of pushed back on some of these heteronormative expectations and it's probably good advice for everyone just to queer everything if you can um thank you the one word tories are bad but the tories <laughs> <laughs> We are sat here on stage with three amazing people and you are all individually role models, um, even if you don't think it. And yeah, but so are you two. God, stop like, it. I that can't, goes without saying. Icons. You're all role models, so I guess my question here is like, when did you, if you did, realise, oh shit, I am a role model? Ooh, the, the word role model is one of those things where... It's like up and down for me. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm a role model when everything's going great. Um, and then <laughs> when it's not, I'm like, mm, are you a role model though? When I first was using my platform on Instagram um, to talk about my my body and um, and when people would comment and 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 say things like, um, thank you for, for sharing, you know, this is what I was feeling and... Uh, similar to what you were saying about um, using your platform, I feel like if I didn't do that, it wouldn't have. I I might not be talking to you today, and so I would say the that definitely um, social media um, has been that that um, point where I've been like, okay, you know what, you are a role model, Talia, and um, but I can't get fixated on that. It's like, you know, when um, you're thinking, like, I'm going to make change, I'm going to make change. And because you're thinking about making the change, you never make the change. If I think about being a role model, then I won't be one. <laughs> so I try not to think about those those things like that all the time, because I don't think that um, I would actually be making change. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I think definitely yeah, social media plays a hand in making you feel that way sometimes. You know, like I said, I get, despite the horrible messages um we get sometimes i get some really lovely ones too especially from young trans people that say the same things to me that like i used to say to people growing up you know just seeing you live is really cool and gave me like hope for the future and 
seeing that things can change. The idea of being a role model, like we don't see ourselves as role models sometimes, but if you are bringing people up and you're supporting people, like in what you said, Steph, and if you're disrupting things, like in both in what Sharon and Talia you've shared, then you are being a role model because if you're disrupting and pissing the right people off, then you're pushing back and you're making space for other people, right? And that's how I say it anyway. I think. Um, oh, you got to clap! You got to clap! I didn't even have to mention the Tories. <laughs> <laughs> I think like another another way to put it is that kind of moment when you stop looking for representation and you start kind of becoming it. And obviously, none of us speak for the entire communities that we identify with, but finally going like. I don't need to find myself so much anymore. Like I'm actually good where I'm at. I think we're also learning, obviously, and we're also growing, but like I'm good where I'm at and I'm good to just be me for a while. And I think all of us have done that. Obviously we have ups and downs and social media is fake sometimes and it shows us living our best lives when actually we're crying in our bedroom eating ice cream. But that's that's me. That's me every every single night. Um, you're welcome. Insights. Um, but yeah, I, th I think I think it's it's a really special moment when you can kind of take a breath and go, okay, the representation is here, like we're doing it, or, or I'm aware of it, or I know people who are also doing it. Okay, so final question to wrap up this little moment. I want to know, what is one of your biggest learnings or a piece of advice that you would give to people who don't feel comfortable in their bodies or in their own skin? You know, something positive to round off the panel. Sharon, you've got the mic in your very hands. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I would probably say it's okay. Like, it's okay to feel, like, discomfort and, like, like how I said I felt dissociated from my body. Like, I think it's okay to have those moments and it kind of is important for me, especially to embrace those moments and appreciate them for what they are because then when you do come out of them when you do have moments out of them then you kind of you can see the difference kind of like more clearly so when I when I sit there and I have like really negative moments about myself which happens often and then I come out of it then that really distinct feeling of negativeness like that really distinct feeling that I I know that I had and then I had concentrated on I can look at and almost as if it's a different person I can look at it and just be like yeah that's not here anymore like I can recognize it. Um, I thought about this earlier and I wanted to give a bit of a more like unorthodox answer because obviously the go-to is kind of find your found family and, and find like media and resources that comfort you. And they're all obviously very valid, correct answers. But something I found that actually helped me a lot early, especially early on in transition, um, like before I was on tea and stuff, was actually playing around with like fashion and clothes, which is probably the gayest thing I've ever said. But it's true because I because I grew up like just like very baggy clothes, just wanting to hide everything. Then I started to get a little bit more confident, especially when I started on hormones. And I started even like it's literally it might sound silly, but something as simple as like tucking a shirt in. Like I never used to do anything like that because I didn't even know that that was like I didn't think about it. And like how the way you wear clothes, you know, can change how you then perceive yourself, you know, even the simple cuffing of a shirt sleeve because I'm bisexual and I have to do that legally. Um, <laughs> little things like that. You know, oh, thank you, yes. Round of applause for the bisexuals in the room. I know they're... 
Um, but seriously, little things like that, like figuring out what jewelry like actually makes you feel really good when you put it on or little tweaks you can make. I feel like there's a big overlap between queerness and identity and then the way you express that, obviously, with fashion. We all know that. And we, I talk about it a lot with like friends at, at gatherings and stuff. Gatherings, I'm not 94. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, but, you know, yeah, things like that, as well as finding you know, people that are going to be with you and understand you and your journey. It's playing around with your expression, I would say, is a really cool thing that you can do and find that even if there are like parts of your body that you're not yet comfortable with, you can try and help yourself through that by finding clothes that make you feel really good despite maybe not being 100% at peace with your body, you know? Yes. Cool, okay, good. I would definitely say, it sounds a bit cheesy, just positive affirmations. Um, they really, really helped me. Speaking to yourself in a positive way can do a lot. It did a lot for me. Just thinking about how you would want someone else um, to speak to you or how you, yeah, how you'd want someone else to speak to you. I've found that it really just helped me on my journey. At school, I was always the biggest out of my friendship group. Um, so, you know, the shops that we went in were different. I didn't even go into shops. I was an online shopping babe. Still am. Um, now, like, most of my friends are either, like, queer, plus-size sort of thing. Um, it just makes life so much easier. We, we go into the same shops. We're, we're, we're listening. We're going to the same parties. And it makes things easier and just less chaos and stress. Um, there's so much chaos and stress. So just the little things that can, can make things um, better um, is nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're back! Yay! And Spencer has given me the comfy chair. My Thank main, you. My main, what, what did you call me last time? Main character syndrome? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, pull it back, rein it back, give you, give you a nice chair. Thank you. Don't get used to it. <laughs> okay, so, please, if you have any questions for our panellists, there all is. Raise your hand, put your finger on your lip, cross your arms, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Hey, uh... Steph mentioned it earlier, but I'm interested in, like, everyone, because something that I'm super interested in is, like, like sort of with my own journey of, like, expressing myself through, like, clothes and jewellery and stuff. Um, just sort of, like, everybody's journey with that and sort of acceptance and, like, maybe of that influenced styles and that kind of thing. 
So I just used to wear black. Um, yeah, I just used to wear black, you know, slimming, flattering. I was in theatre and a makeup artist, so those tend to be the thing, the colour that you wear. But um, with my clothes, that is something that means so much to me. I try to not wear black now. Like I said, when I reach 30, I'm going to just colour block. All I'm going to do is colour block. I love putting two colours together that you think, mm, it's a bit naff. But... <laughs> It means something to me, my clothing and, and how I put two pieces together. Um, that is definitely a way I express myself. I love that Spencer's there like, shit, I'm wearing black. <laughs> yeah, so don't dress like Spencer now, do you? Wow. You look amazing, baby, you look amazing. Thank you. You do look amazing. Thank you. I was a basic bitch before I came out. Basically, I'm just going to put it out there. I dressed so basic. It was awful. Um, and I'm kind of like bringing that back right now today like i'm not gonna lie but i do i do like to experiment more now i add more color i i get my nipples out like fucking all the time like everyone's seeing them now like everyone's seeing my nipples it's insane my friends are just like oh, can you come to the pub and like put your nipples away <laughs> maybe <laughs> but yeah, like i'm kind of being more expressive now with my clothes than i used to be and i i find that came with my queerness definitely before then i was very hidden and yeah, I used to wear a lot of black as well. I still have, like, you know, the good black outfit every now and then. I kind of, I had a thing with this Parisian girl uh, not that long ago, and she said to me that everyone in France always wears all black. And I was just like, I don't know why, but that sounds really fucking romantic and mysterious to me. <laughs> and I kind of want to, like, catch that vibe. And then I looked at my wardrobe, and I was like, that's not happening, Sharon. Like, everything is just, like, bright colours. Um, so I like to experiment and mess around with everything. And every day I have a completely different look and I like it. Yeah. Hi. Um, so I think my question is directed um, at Sharon. I don't know if this is a bit deep for queer talk, but where do you think the root in society for women to be completely like clean shaven comes from? Like why... So for the book, I did some research and I found this. I actually was on a podcast with this person that I ended up doing research on. Like Dr. Rebecca Herzig, her name is. She wrote a book called Plucked. And it talks about the history of hair removal. And it tells you everything, like everything you can imagine. It's an amazing book. You have to buy it and read it. it full research, phenomenal. So in the book, she talks about like the process of it. And, and it essentially is based around marketing. So it's based around marketing um, to get European women to not look like what they said at the time, savages. So it was to move away from looking like a person of colour or a person of indigenous land and to look like someone more elite. So they, what they did when they marketed it is they made it kind of like something that you can only afford if you were elite. And so like these rich women were able to remove all their hair. At the time that it was happening, fashion didn't really allow for it because everyone covered covered up with these corsets and massive dresses and all this kind of shit but then fashion started to change and that's when they started to sell that in that's when they were like you know people were wearing things up to about hair and they're just like oh you can't have any leg hair there and you need to remove this and all that kind of stuff so that's kind of like how that worked at that time it didn't just affect like you know women of color it also affected lower class women as well that ended up harming themselves attempting to remove hair and scarring themselves and there was actually a very high suicide rate at the time as well because of it sorry trigger warning it was a marketing scheme from like white men that started you look at mad men and you were just like huh, no that's it it was that it was it was that guy 
John Hamm. Yeah, it's all his fault. John Draper. <laughs> that one. It's his fault. Blame him. No, I'm <laughs> Do we have another question? You mentioned weight loss surgery earlier, right? How did you feel connected with your body after the weight loss surgery? Weight loss surgery is it's a big process. I was on the waiting list from about 18 and I'm 25 now. So I had it when I was 24. But when I was, I'm so glad I didn't have it when I was 18. I, I wasn't ready last year. Definitely wouldn't have been ready when I was 18. But they go through, they have like one psych evaluation and I know how to um, make you think that I'm okay. <laughs> um, so when he was like, um, how do you feel about your body? I was like, yeah, I love it, but the, you know, I really want to have kids. So the first time I had my surgery date was two weeks before the pandemic. So we went into this lockdown. So it was the first one, went to this lockdown and I had to, you have to do a liver shrinkage diet, which is you have a lot of water, a salty drink, um, which is a stock cube in water and multivitamins and you depending on your BMI you have to do it for um, either two weeks or four weeks and I had to do it for four weeks you're supposed to take fibrogel sorry because you get constipated um, and for this first week so the, like the world is doesn't know what's going on and I'm doing this liver shrinkage diet and I'm passing out um, because I'm not taking the fibrogel because it's disgusting and then the hospital called me and said it's cancelled so I was like oh phew Um, and then I got my surgery date again, which would have been December of that year. And I did that liver shrinkage diet for four weeks. This time I was on Slim Fast. So that was five Slim Fasts um, for the day. And that was it. Very expensive, just an FYI. And I went in and they said, you wasn't using your... I have sleep apnea. They said, you wasn't using your sleep apnea machine. So we cancelled your surgery. So my mental state was just so... I can't even explain it. I had done this thing for four weeks, not eating for four weeks. You started thinking about like tomato and salt and pepper and you're like, it's not even that nice, but I really want it. Like, oh my gosh, egg. Um, um, I got COVID Christmas, Christmas day. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this again. I can't do it to myself. And then the third surgery date came up and I was like, I don't know whether I should do this. Like, I can't do this third attempt. And if it doesn't go wrong, I don't know what I'm going to do. And um, because now everything, like I sort of fuck everything else of what I think about body, whether I like it or not, this journey is just too difficult. So I did it for the third time. I, I did it. I was in the hospital for two days. I had 13 staples and a tube. It was a really difficult journey with my body because I now had this body that I loved knew that it was going to change rapidly because you were supposed to be losing like a stone every two weeks. And I had um, these scars. Uh, so it was so difficult to process everything because I had my family in one here who was like, yeah, you should go for this. And then I had Instagram, my platform, and myself telling me, love you at whatever size. And you hear people saying weight loss surgery um, is the easy option. It really is not. And there are certain things that I'm still battling with today. Um, I don't know if it was the right choice. I genuinely, right now, I'm telling you, everyone in there, I don't know if it was the right choice. My motivations were because I want to have kids. I had polycystic ovaries. And there was, uh, I don't think you're going to, with the weight, I don't think you're going to have kids. And 
that's something that I just really wanted. And I know there are alternative methods and ways to do that. And yeah, so it was difficult. It was a long process. I'm still going through it. I hope that answered that question. So <laughs> do you think you got uh, mental support post-surgery to face <laughs> the new image of your body? <laughs> or were you left fully on your own? <laughs> uh, no, you don't get any support whatsoever and your body is losing weight very rapidly i'm used to eating a big meal and then your body physically says no and there are so many um, syndromes in this that come thereafter like i can't eat and drink at the same time and i won't ever be able to and so there isn't any support um whatsoever um that is is offered and i don't think there is even if i went private um i did it on nhs i wanted to vlog my whole journey and like what i did with of being plus size like you know have a platform i just couldn't do it and to this day i still haven't shared with my platform that i had weight loss surgery it's not a secret in a sense of someone asked me or like the scars that I have of like five and if you see them you know about weight loss surgery you might look at them and be like they're weight loss surgery scars I think I've lost five stones um in the year which to a doctor is actually not good it's um it's not enough but for me the idea of what my body should look like at five stones loss is not there the scales are telling me something different so there's just so many different factors to factor in i realize i'm talking for a long time <laughs> no time left. thank you so much talia thank you for sharing <laughs> And do not forget to let us know that you have listened to our show on socials. We are on Instagram at queer underscore talk. And on Twitter, we are queer talk underscore. Until next time. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.